This is Cybok, the cybersecurity body of knowledge, distilling the knowledge from internationally recognized experts and providing foundational education and training for the cybersecurity sector. Hello and welcome to Cybok. I'm Dave Bittner from the Cyberwire. Joining us today is Alvaro Cardenas. He's associate professor of computer science and engineering at the University of California, Santa Cruz. He's author of the Cyber Physical Systems Knowledge Area. Cyber physical systems is a term that is used to describe anything uh, connected to the physical world, anything IT, any computer or information technology connected to the physical world. So it can range from uh, like autonomous vehicles to control systems in the power grid to even some Internet of Things devices. So because they have sensors and they interact with us, with the physical world. So, I mean, this presents uh, some unique challenges versus uh, you know, types of uh, security, for example, that stay completely within the realm of the computer itself. Yes, definitely. There's uh, several uh, new implications that when you connect devices to the real world, to the physical world. So the first one is that you can do real physical damage. So previous cyber attacks, they might attack digital infrastructure, uh, potentially deny access to computers, uh, steal money, I guess. And uh, yeah, maybe do also psychological harm. But uh, this one's uh, attacks to the cyber physical systems can actually injure people or uh, potentially kill some people in the dramatic scenarios. So uh, the classical example of cyber physical systems or the threats that people have thought about is like, for example, in the power grid. Uh, Mm. So attacks to the power grid that can shut off the power grid. And there has already been examples of this. Uh, So in Ukraine in 2015 and 2016, uh, during the Christmas break, during, during the holidays, the attackers shut off the power grid in several parts of the region. And and we were fortunately, those attacks were not as severe as they could have been. So they, they basically, they just opened circuit breakers in lines. And then the defenders just had to manually connect them again and keep the system running again. So the lights went off for about an hour or so. But uh, but they, the attacks could have been potentially more catastrophic if they were able to bring down the interconnection. The bulk of the power grid shut off could have lasted several days because you would need to restart the power grid in what is called a black start period. So yeah, this this can be very devastating attacks uh, physically and potentially also the other critical aspect is not only cybersecurity, but also privacy. Traditionally in computers, the privacy of people is, is also at risk, but you have to basically interact with a computer. So you know you're typing information, you're visiting websites, and a lot of information can happen what the user knows, but at least they know they're interacting with the computer. But with cyber-physical systems, a lot of the sensing, the collection of the data is passive. So users are not aware of their security exposure or the privacy risks. So the typical example of this is uh, face detection technology. So a lot of people don't know that cameras everywhere can look at you and they know who you are and where you have been. The same thing happens with uh, your your cell phone or, or your location, location tracking. So they can build a very, like, industry and can build very detailed uh, profiles of every user of where they have been, where they live, which doctor do they go to, do they exercise, do they go to the, like, to the 
downtown to for pubs or things like that. So they, they can build a very a specific profile of how people behave on this uh, uh, on these technologies. And a lot of the times, again, people are not aware that they're exposed because the collection is passive. Well, uh, let's go over a general overview of the the general architecture of a cyber physical system, and then also how uh, what what makes them particularly vulnerable, the attack points that uh, that exist. Yes, so a cyber physical system is usually composed, obviously, by an information technology infrastructure. That's where the I guess the traditional computer and logic goes, and then that logic is connected to the physical world through actuators. So this can change depending on the specific cyber physical system, but an actuator can be a relay in a power grid, or it can be the acceleration pedal in a car, in an autonomous vehicle, or it can be the rotor in a drone. So this is how the logic connects to the physical world. And then you use sensors to see what's happening in the physical world. So after you do, you connect to the physical world with an actuation. You want to see what is the effect of your control, of your input. Mm-hmm. And you see, you use sensors to get information from, from these uh, technologies. Yeah, and the attack points can, can range. So you can obviously attack the traditional logic, the computing system behind it, or, or you also have smart sensors, smart actuators, so you can go through them and attack, for example, the control input to the system, or you can make believe uh, that like attack the sensor and then pretend so nothing is happening while you're attacking the system or or do replay attacks make basically make the system lose view of of what it is supposed to be controlling hmm. now one of the challenges facing these systems is uh, is the fact that we're often dealing with legacy systems and there's an expectation that these systems are going to be in place for long periods of time Yes, that is true. Uh, so that's one of the other differences with traditional IT technology. These systems, they, they are a big investment uh, for asset owners, in, for example, in industrial control systems, in, in pipelines, in power grids. And they, they want the equipment that they buy to last at least for a decade, right? So they don't have the same frequency of changing like we have in our smartphones or our computers that after maybe two or three years, the computer or the phone is already obsolete and we we want the next technology. So one of the challenges there is obviously it it is very difficult to anticipate what the attacks would look in 10 years time, right? So this is a big challenge in these systems, how to make sure that whatever we develop today will be secure for a long period of time, even potentially when some companies run out, go out of business and, and the, the product is no longer supported. So take me through some of the methods uh, by which you can detect attacks on these systems. Yes, uh, so attack detection is one of the most popular ways to uh, defend cyber-physical systems. So you can do traditional intrusion detection. So you just look at the network and try to see what is going on. And there's actually, in terms of market share, that's probably one of the biggest success stories of of industry in this Mm. space. So there's a lot of companies that have proposed monitoring of industrial control protocols for SCADA systems. And SCADA stands for Supervisory Control and Data Acquisition Systems. So these are, again, the systems that monitor and control our infrastructures, like the power grid, pipelines, uh, water system, 
So you, what you do is you you look at the basically first the first thing is discovery asset discovery. So you want to see which devices are connected and maybe you discover some devices that shouldn't be connected. And then the next step is profiling the network. So you want to see what is the normal behavior of the system and then try to see when like large deviations occur. And in particular, flag potentially dangerous commands. Like uh, so, you can do analysis of the what machines are saying are talking to each other are saying to each other and then you can see which ones are some of the some of the commands or some of the information exchange might be more sensitive than, than others like for example some of them can be just traditional like periodic reading of a value and the other one can be an, a, a control command and you might want to see well is this a control command that is important like for example for controlling a generator, automatic generation control. And what does it want to do? Does, does it want to increase the generation a lot, given though that we haven't seen any indication that there's evidence for that? So so create these type of models in, in industrial control networks is, is one of the popular ways to detect attacks. But then we have uh, other um, traditional tools. You can try to do also uh, look for out-of-band detection mechanisms. So, uh, like, try to profile uh, the behavior of a, of an embedded controller by the electromagnetic signals that they emit. A more research type of detection can be to prevent a replay attack. Is to say, well, let's see if the system is behaving as it should. So, one problem with replay attacks is that a lot of sometimes the system are operating in a steady state, so nothing changes. And then an attacker can just keep saying, well, everything is normal, nothing has changed. But in the, in the background, it can be causing all sorts of mayhem. So there's this idea of doing active detection. So you, you, you say, well, nothing has changed in the last couple of minutes. Let's see if it is true that nothing is changing. So you sort of like send a small perturbation to the system and then see if the sensors report what you're supposed to be seeing. And I mean, that, that's a big issue with these systems is knowing that your sensors, knowing that what your sensors is reporting back to you is accurate. Is there sort of a, a defense in depth approach to this to, to have, uh, you know, verification that, that your sensors are, are being honest with you? Yes, that's, uh, the, I think the key word that you said is defense in depth. So I think uh, in, the, in these systems, one of the tools that we have to deploy is uh, well, we have to actually deploy several tools. So not only prevent the attacks, so you might want to obviously have cryptography and authentication in the sensors to make sure that they cannot be easily spoofed. So that's sort of like one layer of protection. And then you want to have this layer of attack detection. So how do we make sure that the sensor is sending correct data? And, and for that, you can correlate either sensors with sensors. So if you have maybe redundant sensors or you have sensors that can give more information, like for example, in an, in an autonomous vehicle, you usually have more than one sensor. You might have a camera sensor and you might have a sonar and you might have a LiDAR. And then you might want to see, well, let's see if the three, three sensors are sharing a reality, right? So let's see, like for example, the LiDAR says there's an obstacle three meters ahead. And then let's look at the camera. Does the camera say that there's something in the field of vision that sort of like looks like an object here? That's one approach, sort of like the, the sensor fusion approach. And then there's also the correlation between inputs and outputs. So you know that, for example, again, in an autonomous vehicle, you're accelerating. And, and then you should be seeing, well, 
the obstacle in the back of the ha- of the car, let's say with the lighter, uh, the static object, I should be moving away from it, or I'm turning the wheels to match the road. Like I should be seeing that the car is turning, and I should like my gyro, my accelerometers, and my IMU should be telling me, look, I am deviating from the position because I'm turning. So making sure that the actuation, the the act of turning matches my my sensors. So the correlation between inputs and outputs is the other way to to detect if the sensors are, are the sensors make sense. The sensor and the actuation actuation makes sense. One of the sections of the report focuses on policy and the political aspects of cyber physical system security. Can you give us an overview? What are you covering there? Yes, so I think uh Again, one of the interesting aspects of this field is uh, because they interact with the physical world, that they, they have very interesting studies or, or they, they produce some very interesting scenarios uh, related to cyber war, cyber weaponization and things like that. So, so the Cybook has a, a book chapter, uh, one of the last sections focusing on sort of like the political will of nation states to, to prevent attacks in these technologies and at the same time how they are, how they can be argued that they can be used for uh, potential cyber war or, or as part of future conflict, armed conflict. So the first part of the policy aspect deals uh, with uh, one of the traditional problems in security, and that's security economics. That's the problem that a lot of the times problems in devices, security problems in devices, are because the parties who should be securing these devices to not have the right incentives to secure them. And I think that happens particularly in cyber-physical systems. Uh, a lot of the times, in, there's our startup companies that are trying to create, to get market share, and they want to develop products as fast as possible. And, uh, and then security is sort of like in the back of their mind. So that's one reason. And the other reason sometimes is that people, especially for IoT devices, they say, well, I'm making a toaster like a, an, an internet-connected toaster, but who really cares about hacking an, a, a connected toaster, right? So uh, what, what is the worst that can happen? So, well, I mean, security, yeah, maybe we'll get to that, but, you know, at the moment, let's focus on the functionality of the device. So there's that, that sort of like incentives that uh, do not align well with, uh, with securing these systems, and that has led to a lot of problems. So, so the first part of this policy section discusses these problems, and then what are governments trying to do to incentivize the protection of these devices. So, so there's some ideas, for example, with obviously regulation is the, is the basic one, say, well, if you're not going to secure them, we're going to have standards, and you have to satisfy these standards, otherwise you cannot sell devices in this region. Or... Another way to incentivize companies can be through cyber insurance. So, for example, if you're operating a water system, you have to have cyber insurance. And then the question is, the premium that you pay for that cyber insurance is going to be based upon your level of protection. So if you have really bad protection of your network, then your cyber insurance premium is going to be high. Similar to how uh, vehicle insurance or uh, if you're a good driver, you have low premiums. If you're a bad driver that crashes all the time, you're going to have a very high premium, right? So, so that's mm. the same idea for trying to incentivize companies that operate critical infrastructures to improve their security posture. And the other one is the uh, like power of the purse. So they say, well, we're not going to mandate companies to satisfy standards or to follow insurance or, or require them to buy insurance, but maybe we can say, well, the government is only going to procure 
items or services that satisfy these standards. So if you are not satisfying these standards, then you you are not going to get any government contract. And yeah, okay, maybe you can get a good product and, and, and industry market share, but like it, it diminishes sort of like the impact that you can have. So these are some of the tools that people have been doing for or, or discussing for improving security of these devices. The second part of the policy deals with cyber conflict uh, because conflict like cyber attacks by their very nature are used nowadays in, in pretty much any conflict like hacktivism or, or even cyber crime. But the most important thing for cyber physical systems is uh, the concept of cyber war and the idea that cyber attacks can be used in future armed conflict. And, and they have been used in, in, more, in recent armed conflicts as well. The idea is that... Uh, so governments know and the United Nations know, and they, that's why they have these laws of war, that they are going to be spying on each other. So, for example, spying and hacking each other networks, like, for example, if the U.S. wants to hack Russia's network to spy on, on, on what the government is doing, it's fine. And similarly, if Russia wants to hack the U.S. or, or, or the U.K., I mean, it's not fine, but I mean, it's not sort of like illegal in international law. <laughs> right, espionage. Espionage, yeah. right, yeah. right. But the, the discussion is, okay, well, what happens now that the specific war for cyber-physical systems or, or the role of cyber-physical systems in, in war is what might happen to the physical world like with these attacks. So, for example, a cyber weapon might have the same effect as a missile strike, right? If you open a dam, it's the same thing as a missile strike hitting the dam and, and might have the same effect. There's an interesting discussion to see if are the current laws of war enough or do we need something more adaptive or, or something new for cyber physical systems? Hmm. So what are the, the take homes? What are the, the conclusions that you want uh, people who, who read through this section? What would you like them to, to take away from it? Yeah, I think uh, the most important thing is to identify what what makes cyber-physical systems unique and, and interesting to study compared to traditional IT systems. So they, they have unique challenges, but they also have unique opportunities. And one of the interesting things is this combination of interdisciplinary science. So uh, between we need to have knowledge not only of traditional IT information systems, but maybe you need also some knowledge of like control systems or some knowledge of like uh, networking, more net, like industrial control networks. So there's an interesting area to develop well-rounded engineers. That's Alvaro Cardenas. To learn more about the Cybok project and the knowledge area we spoke about today, visit cybok.org. This podcast is a product of the University of Bristol. Cybok is funded by the UK National Cybersecurity Program and led by the University of Bristol's Professor Awais Rashid, along with Professor Andrew Martin, Professor George Denisis, Professor Emil Lupu, Professor Steve Schneider, and Dr. Howard Shivers. The Cybok podcast is produced by The Cyberwire with coordinating producers Jennifer Iben, Kelsey Bond, and Bristol University's Yvonne Rigby. The executive producer is Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening.